Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. We're glad you found us. This is unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And today I welcome retired federal administrative law judge who practiced criminal and energy law for more than 30 years, former U.S. Army major, uh, a faculty member of the Four Winds Society, and a master practitioner of energy medicine. Her name is Karen B. Johnson. That's quite a resume, isn't it, of all the things that she's done. Her name is Karen B. Johnson, and she's here today to talk about her wonderful book. Um, It's called Living Grieving, uh, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. So it's a real pleasure to welcome Karen to today's show. Welcome. Glad you're with us. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you. You know, the key to the book for me is in the title. You know, it's an interesting title, isn't it? It's counterintuitive. What's this living grieving? You know, first yeah. of all, your mind sort of takes a, a, you know, a step back and you think, what's that about? Then you go, aha, yes, grieving is not something that, that happens to you and then you get over it, right? And, and move on. Right something that's always with you so you're always living that grieving to a degree right and you're you're not dying grieving you're living grieving it's it's uh it's something you you bring into yourself to enhance your life as well even amidst the the trauma of loss yes you've got it you've got it perfectly yep that's my perspective um with the book and you know it's all about grief and learning to live with grief and to create a new life out of the ashes of the old one so that we can actually go on a journey with our grief and find out maybe places where we're stuck and how we can begin to move on and move through it. And, of course, your story is, is about your, your son, uh, Ben, right, who, who um, yeah. Yeah, uh, died uh, from an overdose uh, when he was yeah. in his 20s and um, uh, quite a trauma, obviously, to look. I think it's probably the worst thing that can happen to anyone is to lose uh, their child. And um, I think spouse is probably next up, but losing a child is, is the, you know, the worst nightmare. Um, and, yeah. and you, you really, uh, you know, had to work through this um, for quite a while. Right. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the band and, and how, how that happened. Sure. So um, they say that, the worst deaths are an unexpected death and the death of 
a child. And when you have the unexpected death of a child, you're really in a bad place. I know because I was there. And um, I had gone on vacation to South Korea. And Ben had been having issues, um, like many, so many young men in our society, trying to decide if he's going to finish college, if he's going to continue with a business, what he's going to do with his life. He was 27. And I knew that I needed to have some difficult conversations with him when I got back. But I didn't know that he would try heroin. That was not within my wheelhouse. And so I get a call um, in South Korea from a detective, and he said, well, where are you? And I said, why? What's happened? It's your son. Why? I thought, maybe an accident. He's dead. Oh, everything fell apart. And um, I couldn't get back from South Korea because the time difference is so severe, and it takes 14 and a half hours by plane to get from South Korea to um, D.C., so it took me about a day even to, to get home, so I was a wreck, and sitting in the airport in South Korea, Ben came to me. I just saw him just like he would be in life, uh, with his big old smile, just grinning at me and looking at me, and then he faded away, and I called my ex-husband. I said, you got to contact the medical examiner. You've got to get in touch with her. I think he's alive. I think he's alive. You've got to get him out of that refrigerator. I think he's alive. And so they all humored me and she looked and she said, I'm sorry, he's gone. But for me, that was my really big step into infinity, that there actually was and is life after death. And I could see, sense, feel my son around me um, for so many weeks and really even to this very day. But in the beginning, I could tell he was frantic because I was grieving so profoundly that um, I just, I, I couldn't make it up the steps to go to bed. I would lay in the steps and scream and scream until I threw up and threw up, threw up until I threw up blood. I was a really a complete basket case. But at the same time, I could feel him around me. I could feel him. And so I did what <laughs> no one as, as a federal judge in near Washington, C.C. probably would do, but I looked up and Googled um, mediums, mediums in Fairfax County, Virginia. And so I found a whole page of them. And what happened for me is something that has happened for me over and over and over again. I looked at the page and one woman's picture was bigger than the rest. And so I said, well, I'll go with her. And then I went back to look her up again and get an address or something, and the picture was exactly the same size. Mm. And Spirit has guided me this way over and over again to finding houses, finding places to stay. So I kind of know now that's sort of one of those things that Spirit says, here, do this. <laughs> points me in the right direction. And so um, I really went on this profound journey um, to find this medium, talk to the medium, had a great session with her, and she was able to say, look, you know, most people don't know that their loved ones are standing right there in the corner and they can see them and sense them, but they can't hear them. Maybe you have some skills. And so I went on an entire journey to, really, I wanted more time to talk with Ben. and But it led me to so much. It led me on a profound journey. I ended up retiring, selling all my worldly goods, and going on a two-and-a-half-year trip around the world to talk to clergy and shamans and priests and 
um, all sorts of people who deal with death and dying on a regular basis to try to figure out this thing called grief. Um, in our culture, we don't deal very well with grief or with people that are grieving. And it's sort of this um, fast pace, get over it, time to move on, time to, let's not talk about that, let's, um, let's do something else, go, time to go out to a movie, time to go on a date, time to do this, time, right? So we feel very rushed through our grief because we make people around us uncomfortable. Right, yes, and, true. Right, right. So um, we know that things like marriage and having a, a parenthood, we know that those also are transformative life events that carry a lot of energy to transform your life. We don't focus so much on grief, but grief and grieving is also filled with a lot of transformative energies that we can tap into once we learn how. And so that's really the focus of my book, to take people on a journey, a sacred journey. Um, and I use the medicine wheel and I use 16 practices that are associated with Buddhism and Christianity and probably every other religion um, in some way to take people on this journey from becoming very profoundly stuck in despair um, to becoming lighter and then awakening and then finally creating a new life out of the ashes of the old. And I have people do this in a very sacred way because we want to move out of our reptilian brain, our everyday fight, flight, um, you know, all these sorts of everyday sorts of things we engage in. We want to engage a different part of our brain. We want to engage the neocortex. That's the brain that kicks in with ceremony. And we instinctively know this when we enter a church or a temple and we kind of go, it's quiet. It's serene. There's a presence there. If there's candles, people who are not of that faith will walk up and light a candle. We instinctively know that lighting a candle and fire is a way of communicating, a way of dealing and being inspired by the divine. And so what I like to do is have people sit with these 16 questions, things like non-judgment. Who are you judging? Who's judging you? You know, sometimes we get very stuck in what people did or didn't do for our loved ones. I know I was angry at a few people um, that I felt could have stepped in and should have stepped in and didn't step in. We also might get stuck in stories we're telling ourselves. I should have done this. So many people tell me, I I should have made my husband or my wife go to the doctor. I shouldn't have gone to work that day. I shouldn't have, I say, I shouldn't have gone on vacation. Maybe I shouldn't have even put him in daycare when he was three. Maybe I shouldn't have. So we go on and on, and these stories that ruminate in our head really can derail us. And so if we sit in a ceremonial way, and I like people to sit in quiet with a candle with a pie pan and with a little notebook and pen or pencil and write down these things. Who are they judging? Who's judging them? With radical honesty, and people can be radically honest because they're going to burn these answers. It's not going to be sitting around for somebody to see or get their feelings hurt. And the intention is to release this. Whatever your concept of God, spirit, the universal consciousness, whatever it is for you, 
um, and and open your heart for change, for peace, for love, for joy to enter back into your life. You know, it seems to me that um, you know, reading the book, that you you swapped one one kind of order for another, right? For you know, you had an order to your life. You know, you had a successful career as a judge or a lawyer, and a lawyer. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, big house. You mentioned that in the book. Um, you know, uh, a husband and a, uh, in all the all the trappings of success. Quote right. Um, yeah. Which you know, the consensual view of the world, as you put it. Um, but then, you know, that was basically unsatisfying for you, right? You know, the, the, yeah. you were bored in your job, etc. And this new order, this new sort of sacred order is um, much more meaningful, right? It, it provides for the heart and the soul rather than just, um, you know, the surface of things. And that, that seems to have been a big shift too. And in a sense, Ben, although that was a tragedy, you could say, you know, that he, he helped precipitate that shift, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so sometimes death is the doorway. And it's the doorway for those of us left behind, the survivors, the doorway for us to change our lives. And it's a window of opportunity because everyone knows we're grieving. Everyone knows that something is very different. And we sort of have this moment where the expectations of the world lift a little. And we have this moment where we can ask ourselves questions like, if I could do anything without worrying about money or people or anything, I mean, just get in touch with it, what would I do? And it might be that it's not the moment to do that. For me, I didn't have, I'm an only child and I have brothers and sisters. I only had one daughter. She was in school doing well. I was able to make this huge transition and leave everything behind and start afresh. Not everybody can make that big of a transition, but at least if you're in touch with what you might want, what you might do, and are you living the life you want or are you living a life for other people or what other people want you to live and, and expect of you? And so getting in touch with those feelings for maybe the first time in years can bring a profound sense of change and put you on a glide path. I always say take the glide path. You don't have to jump off the cliff like I did. <laughs> take the glide path to creating a new life out of the ashes of the old that honors your loved one. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to honor Ben. I want to honor his life. And so writing this book and working with the grieving um, is and the survivors is my way of honoring him and his life and what he introduced me to, which has been so beautiful and profound. Right. Yeah, and let's talk about uh, these these four wins, as you call them, this medicine wheel. Um, yeah. And just wrap up the first part of the show here with with a little introduction, where I go into more depth in the in the second part. Um, I, I noticed you use the archetypes, you know, of um, of hero, warrior, seer, and sage, right? As we move through the yeah. the wheel, and I love this because we some of us may be familiar with some of these ideas from. Um, you know, archetypal um, philosophers and teachers like Joseph Campbell. Um, yes. But you have to be a bit of a hero, don't you, to get through the grief? You know, the, you're called to step beyond uh, the, the, the despair and sadness and, and take on, a um, you know, the courage that you you need to move through and become a warrior, if you like, you know, a warrior for new understanding. And and then the beginning be it starts to, as you become a seer, as uh, almost a shaman, 
um, you know, going into this new life. And then eventually you come to the stage where you can integrate it fully, you know, back into your life. Um, and in your um, the, the techniques that you're sharing, um, you, you start in the south, right? The hero starts at the south, moves to the west, yeah. goes mm -hmm. to the north, and then ends up in the east um, on this sort of medicine wheel. So sort of integration of Native American, the wheel of the year, um, the paths in, in the east. Uh, you know, it seems like a... Yeah, a, all those great circles of, of time right. and space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so these I begin in the south because I my the shamanism I studied was Andean, and their their cosmology is based on the Southern Cross, so it starts in the south. In uh, Northern America, uh, it would often start in the east. So, but it doesn't really matter where you begin. The concept is that you're traveling a circle, a spiral, if you will. You're spiraling right. higher, and you're spiraling out of your grief and loss. Right. Very good. Folks, I'm I'm with Karen V. Johnson. She's written this lovely book, Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. If people want to find out about you, I think you've got a website. Do you want to say that quickly before the break? I do. KarenJohnson.net. Excellent. A-O-H-N-S-O-N. Yep. Yes. Good. All right. Join us in a couple of minutes after these messages from Unity, and we'll look a little more deeply at this, this circle of transformation. Practical Spirituality. Positive Messages. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org. The Voice of an Awakening World. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, welcome back to today's show. I just want to briefly mention my panel discussion that's coming up this Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Central. It's on Zoom. It's free. Um, I'm having a panel discussion with a couple of really cool people, uh, Phil Goldberg and Vanessa Sasson. And it's going to be facilitated by Ellen Davenport. Um, and they're going to be talking about elements of my new book that just came out, Unity and World Religions. And so you can get the book uh, through Unity. Um, you can get it through Amazon, except they've sold out right now. But you can still get it on Kindle. Um, and you can go to unity.org or go to my site, pauljohnroach.com, and register for that Zoom if you're interested. So I'd love you to to join us. There's over a thousand people registered, which is awesome. So a lot of people are going to be tuning in. Um, that's at seven o'clock central uh, this Thursday, this coming Thursday, the 2024th. Right now, though, I'm with uh, Karen V. Johnson. We're talking about her book, Living Grieving. And uh, we're talking about the uh, the four, the port, the four uh, part winds or pathways around the circle. Um, of healing, uh, of transformation, I would say, uh, that combines many of the modalities uh, of um, spirituality and philosophy from around the world, um, guiding us through um, moving beyond uh, the stuck place, right, In, into um, something much more uh, beautiful and transformative and, and uh, joyous, I would say. So, Let's look at some of these qualities in the in the uh, in the south as we begin 
um, we, we need to release some, some things, you know, our judgment, because we're so hard on ourselves, aren't we, when we're grieving, yeah. you know, uh, as yeah. you mentioned earlier. Um, and you've got non-suffering, non-attachment, and, and, and embracing the beauty way, embracing the way yeah. of possibility. It's, it's impossible to have non-suffering, though, isn't it? Yeah, uh, non-suffering, really non-suffering has to do with the stories that we tell ourselves that, and we have to ask ourselves, is that really true? Did I really have control over this person? Could I have made them go to the doctor? Could I have um, made my son make a different decision? Could I have made him not go to that party? These kind of things, these stories that we say, if I had been there, I could have stopped him. Well, really, is that true? So when we release the stories, we're left with the pain. Don't get me wrong here. This isn't about never having pain again. Pain is the price of loving somebody deeply, but we don't have the suffering that goes along with the pain. So, um, yeah, so non-suffering, it's a way of looking at it and really getting in touch with the kind of things that are rattling around in our head that are making us so upset and nervous. Um, writing them down and releasing them to God, to spirit, to consciousness is so profound. And if it's done in a very, very sacred way, people get a tremendous amount of healing. And also the practice of beauty is so important. I um, always, I, I, in fact, I'm having a class coming up. It'll be a five-week class that'll lead people through these all these exercises in community in a group, which is so healing and profound. And one thing I ask people to do is write a note and put it on the refrigerator. Practice beauty. Wow. Because when we are caretakers, a lot of people are caretakers before somebody passes or we just lost somebody or um, whatever has happened. We've had a divorce or a, a loss of a business or any kind. When we're going through that, we really forget to practice beauty and practicing beauty is doing one thing for yourself every day that you love even if it's buying yourself a flower or a potted plant or um, having a, making yourself a meal that you like just something or watching a sunrise watching a sunset how many times have we let all that go visiting a local temple or mosque or all these things that we think are a museum, we think I'll get to it someday, but we've lost it into no day. And so we want to take back beauty, bring beauty back into our lives. And um, especially people deal with all kinds of grief, compound grief, um, grief that's old, that maybe someone lost a parent when they were a child and nobody ever explained to them what happened and they've suffered. So it's unresolved and unexpected, grief of a loss of a child. So there's so many different kinds of grieving that people are going through, loss of many people. Some people have lost, you know, four or five people in just a few years. That's a big compound grief. And working through that and being able to work through each loss one at a time in a sacred ceremonial way can really, really put people back on the path of creating new lives, enjoying Love. their life, and being present. And it's a nurturing process, isn't it? It's being kind to yes. ourselves, right? And, and, yes, uh, for sure. And that's huge, you know. I think a lot of us are grieving right now about uh, the situation in Ukraine. And um, yes. I happened to be preaching on Sunday, and uh, 
you know, I, I found four qualities in, in what's happening in Ukraine, in, in Ukrainian soul, you know, the qualities of, of courage and determination, selflessness and innovation. They're very innovative. And I thought, you know, this would make a good subject for to talk about how we can be those qualities as well, you know. And it helps us deal with um, the suffering and the difficulty when we when we take on the qualities that we see exhibited there, you know, and, and lift them up in our own hearts. And then we're in, in some way we're helping, um, you know, be be a positive uh, support for the people in Ukraine, even though we feel, may feel helpless. So um, it, yeah. it begins within us, as always, you know, we're unity people and we talk about, you know, change begins within. And I know that you believe that also. And um, yeah. it, it has to happen mm-hmm. you know, for ourselves, doesn't it? Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about uh, going west, um, which which is um, how would you describe that? If if uh, we're at the beginning in, in the south, you know, as the hero, now we're taking we're on the warrior. Unstuck. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's what? And we become unstuck in the south, and in the west, we're becoming lighter. Right. We're shedding. Yeah, shedding. Shedding our past, kind of like the serpent sheds its skin, so that once we get to the west direction, now we are looking at things in a deeper way. We're doing it in a way of a warrior, fearlessly. We have to be fearless. And looking at things like, are we creating busyness in our lives, keeping ourselves busy to avoid uncomfortable emotions? Wow, I sure was. And sitting with that, and what are we trying to avoid? Um, and then non-engagement. Oh my gosh, that's such a beautiful practice. I mean, it takes two, you know, it takes two to tango. <laughs> but it is that. It's that non-engagement to decide to lay down your sword. And sometimes it, in, it involves non-colluding with the consensual. Wow. So colluding. Colluding is such a big word. It has that idea of having an intent to deceive or mislead so do we do that do we collude secretly i think we all have we've colluded in many ways in our society with poverty and race and social justice all those sort of things we go along our lives colluding with our everyday reality not wanting to look too deeply into where we are guilty and um, certainty Oh, my gosh. Once we've decided on a pathway, we've said, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to um, look at things. I'm going to do differently. I'm going to become lighter. We become committed. We don't wobble. So wobbling is is tough. And there's a quote by a Zen master. If you're going to stand, stand. If you're going to sit, sit. But for heaven's sakes, don't wobble. (laughs) I love love that that one. That's great, isn't it? Too. Isn't yeah. that so good? Yeah. And then that quality of fear, fearlessness. People say, I'm scared. I'm scared to change. I'm scared to do this. I'm scared to do that. And sometimes it's like the um, a fireman going up to a burning building with a tall ladder. And the person says, oh, I can't. I can't come out. I can't come out. I'm scared. I'm scared. And what does a fireman tell them? Then do it scared. Sometimes we have to be fearless in making changes in our lives. For me, I looked around and I said, I am so, I've been in this horrible, the second worst traffic in the country for 30 years. I'm surrounded with people and, and a job that I really had it with. And I'm not, I'm just marking time. I'm just 
waiting for something to happen. And I don't know, you know, something did happen. Something terrible happened. But that tragedy allowed me to see things differently and to make changes in my life that affect everyone around me, my daughter and my grandchildren. Everyone is better for my being happier. And so fearlessness is such an important quality. And again, it reminds me of the, the hero's journey, right? That we've, we've begun yeah. and now we're going through the, the difficulties. And, you know, it's not easy to get through this, this second stage. But if we do, then, then we're up to the, the north. We're, we're in the opening to the gift, if you like. The, and you call it a beginner's mind. You know, it, it's, it's like the whole world is beginning again for us. You know, we have a new gift, a new understanding, right? Yes. Exactly. We're awakening from the nightmare, the nightmare that we created. I mean, thank no mistake, we all create our own nightmares. That's a part that's hard sometimes to accept that we've created everything around us is of our own making, um, our own consent to. So beginner's mind, looking at things, we get so jaded. Been there, done that. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. I went to a spiritual fair one time and all these people, oh, gosh, vendors of all kinds that, people with the uh, flutes and all beautiful things, uh, all kinds of spiritual things, crystal, and people walk by and say, yeah, I tried that, and I tried that. Nothing really works. Oh, yeah, I've yeah. tried this church, and I've tried that church, and I've tried them all, and eh, that, none of that works for me. Been there, done that, right? So we want to get back to our beginner's mind where everything is fresh and new, like when we were a child, and say, huh, wait, maybe I could look at this whole thing a little differently. What if I – what if I – Looked at even this grief thing differently. What if I said, oh, my God, there's life after death. He's just around the corner. He's just across the veil. He comes to visit me. They're right here with us all the time. So why am I clinging with such deep attachment and so with so much fear to an old idea that's just not true? You know, that idea of eternal slumber. They're not slumbering. My my son is doing all kinds of things that are fantastic that he loves. Um, finally, as only a 27-year-old man can say, one time I on his birthday, I'm like, oh, Ben, you know, I miss you. Come visit. And he came in and he said, Mom, quit dinging my doorbell. I'm in the Jesus pod. I'm in the Jesus pod. We're having a great time. So so you're fine. You're fine. You don't need me huh? right now. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I know. And so what, what more could we want for our child than for them to have a beautiful life on the other side? And so I had to give up some of my heaviness even, some of the heaviness that I was trying to cling to that I felt like I was supposed to be. I'm supposed to be sad. I'm supposed to be suffering. I'm supposed to be when all that does is make him feel um like he can't do what he needs to do on the other side. And that's the last thing I want to do. So it's just changing your frame of mind by the time you get to the north direction when you've shed so many things. And what if you lived your life then like it matters? Wow. Not from the past, but in the future. So many of us live our lives like Newtonian physics, A plus B equals C. You know, we do this, we do this, we get this outcome. And we're very familiar with it. And, and we think to ourselves, well, I'll just sh shift things up a little bit and I'll get a slightly better result. But what if we let go of the past entirely and created from the future? 
quantum physics. What if we quantum leap into the future, leaving the past behind and found our dreams? What was a big dream that you would have? I asked people. Something that's so big that you don't know how to make it happen. And bring that into your heart because the universe is listening. God is listening. And God will provide those steps for you. All the better if you don't know how to get there. Then you can't mess it up from your small A plus B plus equals C kind of mind. I do want to circle back to uh, being there, done that mentality. You know, I think, excuse me, I think there's some validity to skepticism. I know that um, Don Miguel Ruiz, oh, got a click in my throat here. Sorry, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, of course, wrote the four agreements, right? And uh, yeah. then added the fifth agreement, which was, you know, the power of skepticism. I think yeah. sometimes, you know, it's good to be skeptical because we don't want to fall for everything, right? That doesn't yeah. mean we have to reject. I think we just sift clearly till we know. And um, <coughs> I think that can be yeah. healthy. And then we can, because you talk about in the book, <coughs> oh gosh, I'm being overwhelmed with a cough here. Oh gosh! Um, you talk in the book about John of God, you know, and yeah, uh, you know, you had some, uh, you know, valid things that came through in 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 that uh, experience. But of course, we know today, unfortunately, that John of God was um, not the man of integrity that we many of us thought he was, right? Then now right. he's in jail, I think, because of that. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's where skepticism is sometimes good, right? Absolutely right. Yeah, discernment. I would rather say discernment than skepticism. Skeptics and skepticism has gotten a bad rap, you know, even in the Middle Ages. So I would call it that discerning mind. And take what is for you and leave the rest. You know, it's not not all of it is for everyone. So, yeah. I think it's funny sometimes, you know, in Unity, we talk about the, you know, it's an inside job. The truth is within. And then a lot of Unity people go searching, you know, for put it outside of themselves, you know, the latest flavor <laughs> right. coming down, whether it be a John of God or the oneness blessing or who knows what, you know, and ultimately, though, you know, it's yeah. always within. And, um, you know, it's it's wonderful to have all these practices, but unless they're integrated into our own being, right, this is the key, I think. It's, yeah, it's, I think um, so, too. Yeah, it's wonderful to take these things on. And, and um, there's a lovely um, chant that you, you, t- you have in the book, you know, for the, the Gayatri chant that's, thousands of years old and um you know what a wonderful chant that is because it's being chanted i think every day now for at least five thousand years by many millions of hindus right and um and and you know it's not just a hindu chant is it once you integrate it into your own being you recognize that you're in you're you're inviting the light to shine in your own heart you know that's basically what the gayatri is about so it's not Mm -hmm. some kind of strange hindu chant it's really uh, just the the soul's response to the glory all around us yes yes for sure yeah absolutely i love that one and i and and i'm chanting anything 108 times for me people will say oh gosh i can't meditate i've got this busy mind busy busy mind i know i have that too but once i chant for 108 times my mind is quiet and then it's a doorway into meditation. So I love having that. Um, I like the beads. I like the chanting. I like the singing. I think it stimulates the vagus nerve. And so all that's going on, and, and it's a beautiful practice. And the words are beautiful. Yeah, I want to read them if you don't mind. Uh, 
the translation here it says um the eternal earth air heaven that that glory that resplendence of the sun may we contemplate the brilliance of that light may the sun inspire our minds i just love that that's beautiful and of course in the in the sanskrit it's very very beautiful too um yeah. okay i don't want to run out of time so let's get to um we're, we're on the north now we're now we're going east right we're yeah by east. the way the north you talked about being a seer so we're seeing into literally something more than just what's on the surface surface of things right we're seeing a higher for sure. purpose for ourselves yeah yeah, that's where we begin to kind of look around and say, oh, wow, there is more out there. And then we get to the east and we begin to create a new life out of the ashes of the old. Because by this point, we kind of are tapping into our sagedom. We all are sages. We all have, that's when people say, they come to me and they say, I've tried this practice and that practice and this church and this church and what do I do next? What do you think I should do next? I said, nothing. I think you should sit and find that wisdom inside you've got so much wisdom that you've gathered now let it all integrate and it, on, on and the, during the integration process is where we become the sage and we say ah okay we're able to disengage from our own thoughts no mind wow uh, no time looking for synchronicities it's amazing if you just stop for a moment quietly and you look at your life and you think how many people came into your life at just the perfect moment? How many things happened for you just when they needed to happen? And and we're so busy with our busy, busy minds that we miss it. But when we let go of being busy and get into no mind, we begin to disengage from the thoughts that keep us from our inner wisdom. Our, I call it the observer within, that soul, our soul rider that is there all the time for us to touch into. And an aspect of that is that you call it uh, owning your own projection. You know, you, we, um, we project so much out there, right? Especially the things we don't want to look at, look at inside of ourselves. Yeah. We, we see them in others and we only see them out there because they're within us. And, that's, that's, that's right. sort of a mirroring process, right? And that's a hard one, isn't it? Because you say, no, I, that, that, can, that, I can't be like that. But of course, yes, you are, you know, but you're not, you don't want to look at it. You're just throwing it out there. But what a wonderful growth point that is when we can own it. Yes. Yes. Oh, for sure. If you, That's the beauty of it. And and it also opens our perspective. Instead of being very narrow-minded and narrow, I don't want to be that little old lady that, oh, those kids and their loud music and their terrible clothes and their this and their that, blah, blah, blah. I want to be this open-minded woman that takes all the kids in and bakes cookies and, you know, listens to them and, and has fun. That's the one I want to be. And we can only be that when we accept our own light and our own darkness. We all have it. We all have that capacity to be dark. We all have that capacity for great light. And so to accept ourselves is so profound and so important. You know, a teacher once told me that uh, you just have to add three words to any sentence and um, it'll help you tremendously in your life. And the, the three words are just like me. So, like you know, me. if you say he's an idiot, you know, just like me. Just like um, me. <laughs> or he's a beautiful soul, just like me. 
you know, it's yeah. it, you get what you put out there. So if you if you're looking for good, uh, you know, you will receive it, right? If you're looking for bad, yeah. you'll receive that too, because you know it all it all comes back to us, just like me. We're all in this together. And I, I've, I've used that for many years, and it's very helpful actually to uh, to get yeah. rid of all the the baggage, right, and the stories we tell about ourselves and others, and just simply come home to the naturalness, the non the non-mind, the no-mind, the no-time, just the effortlessness of, of being just us, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah, just like me, I, I remember early on in my training thinking, you know how we look, we go in a room and we see the room and there's a book called Blink and we make assessments within like 20 seconds of people. And, right. but, it's, it, but what we are making assessments on are based on our projections and, and their masks. And when you get behind the masks and the projections, just like me, they're hurting just like me they're trying to find themselves and find a way away, away from pain so i love that just like me i'm going to tell people about next week's show but then when we come back can you for the last few minutes just share something you think would be helpful for our listeners today you know a, a sort of a summation of where where you are and what uh, what works and what would be encouraging okay um yep. next week I'll, I'll be talking with the rock musician um, writer, educator, editor, and filmmaker, Tamara Lucid, um, about her book. It's uh, it's called Making the Ordinary Extraordinary, My Seven Years in Occult Los Angeles with, uh, with Manly P. Hall, the great philosopher and occultist. So that's going to be interesting with Tamara Lucid, great name. Um, but right now, to end the show... Um, Let's see, we're going to listen to words of wisdom. We've already had lots of them throughout the show, but something particular that we can take with us into our, into our week, Karen. Yes. So um, just remember that grief is a journey, and you have a right to your journey as long as it takes you. And remember, too, that there's a term called indigenous alchemy, and it means an innate or native desire for transformation. And that's what we as humans have in our hearts. We have this desire for transformation and when we keep ourselves stuck and small we don't feel well we feel terrible because that's not our natural state of being so tap into that your innate desire for transformation and allow yourself the joy of transforming your life and what would you say to people who you know are still having difficulty with with loss um whatever it might be you know a child or or a spouse, or, or whatever, you know, the, the, all the various losses we've had in our lives. Um, what, yes. what comfort can you give to them? Just be present. Be present with that and know that it's, it's not going to last forever, and especially if you see it as a journey. So sometimes we feel like it's the end of the world. We don't see it as a journey. But if you begin to see it as a journey instead of the end of the world, you can find hope and joy and transformation and and the future and that's what we want to tap into we don't want to be stuck we don't want to deny it either like you you said you know you've got to look at it fearlessly right uh, yeah but in in the same time be kind to yourself um nurture be nurturing as well so it's a balance for me uh, to be to be honest but then also to be to be nurturing not to beat up on yourself too much yeah and both at the same time nurture yourself and that sometimes nurturing yourself gives you the ability to be fearless. 
when we're, we're harsh on ourselves and we say mean words to ourselves, we're in this place of despair and hopelessness and tightness. But when we're taking care of ourselves and we're practicing beauty, we're in a different space. And that allows us to open up and to be fearless. Beautiful. Well, I want to thank Karen for being with us today. Um, thank you, folks, for listening to Unity Online Radio. I'll talk to you next week. May everyone be safe and happy. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.